It's a privilege to be with you this morning, and I thank you for, um, and thank Pastor Eric and the leadership of the church for the invitation. And uh, my name is Eric Prinky, and my wife, that's my wife, Hope, and my daughter, Glory Joy, and we are um, planting a church. Um, we are with the Beaver Valley Church Planting Network, which is four churches up there in Beaver County, and we've accepted a call from them to plant a church within eight miles of the Shell Cracker plant. And um, part of the, as part of the call, we um, recruit or find our own team. And then as a team, we discern the exact location and specifics of the church. And that's what, what we've been doing. And um, we have identified a target community as Manaka um, and Center Township. And we have picked a church name. And our church name is... Mosaic Community Church. Mosaic Community Church. And what, what we want to do at Mosaic Community Church is connect people with God and each other. Um, you know, um, God's called us to be a house of prayer. He's called the church to be a house of prayer. Jesus said in the Gospels, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I mean, he was confronting um, um, some bad things that were happening. But he's quoting Isaiah. In Isaiah, in Isaiah 56, he says, he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations. And he talks about people from every tribe, nation, and tongue coming together. Um, why, why should they come to a house of prayer? Because God's presence is there. People should be here because God's presence is here. God's presence. And once we have an encounter with God, we're, we're in his presence. We can't help but to share that love with others and out of that to minister to um, the people in our um, surrounding influence. And that's what we want to do at Mosaic Community Church. We want to uh, be a tapestry to reach people from every um, tribe, nation, and tongue. All, whatever diverse group is within our community, that's who we want to reach. At its best, Mosaic Community Church, we will um, have a, a small glimpse of the, of the unity that we see in Revelation 7-9, where it says that people from every tribe, nation, and tongue coming together and worshiping together. And um, that's what we want to do. And and um, thank you for your support. We um, appreciate that. Um, and um, in case you don't know, this morning I was going to tell a little bit more in Sunday school. But we ended up having the wrong address, for, an address for the wrong Bethel Church. So it was a Presbyterian church. We walked in and people were asking us if we wouldn't know where the Sunday school was. <laughs> I said, yes, we do. <laughs> I, stopped, I stopped to use the restroom and lucky I did because while I was in there, my wife was looking around. <laughs> and she noticed a different pastor's name on the... On the door. Otherwise, I'd have walked into Sunday school and just started sharing. But, but thank you for your grace on us. And we would um, love to tell you more about the church plant um, um, after the service or any time, um, really. And, uh, and thank you. Um, so if you'd open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 23. And here is the word of the Lord. It says... For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jew I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak, that I might win the weak. 
I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its, share with them in its blessings. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we, as we continue our worship and stand on your word together, and as I point at what I believe you're speaking to us, I pray that I'd be a good servant rightly dividing the word of truth. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place to illumine our hearts individually um, so we can and apply the eternal word of truth to our hearts in a way that transforms us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage kind of used to bother me when I first start, when I first read it years ago. And it, it seems like, on the surface, it seems like a passage that puts a lot of pressure on a church planter, right? I mean, to the Jew, I became as a Jew. To those outside the law, as one outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. I, at first glance, it seems like the Apostle Paul here in the letter to the Corinthians is um, like a television producer willing to adapt his commercials and his show's content to whatever it is that his viewers want to see. I'm here to be all things. We're here to be all things to all men, women, and children, and whoever, as long as it brings in the bucks. And as someone like me, I'm not the, the kind that can um, pull something like that off, even in my flesh. So what are you talking about, Paul? I mean, is this, is this a clever marketing strategy? Is this the, later, the latest leadership um, book that, to be written? But if we look deeper here, below the surface, we will see that Paul's approach, Paul's approach becoming all things to all people, it's not just a clever, it's not a clever marketing strategy, but it's a profound revelation of love. It's a, it's, and it's a revelation of a kind of love, incarnational love. A love that motivates us to, to, to take action, to serve other people in ways to reach them with the love of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at these, as we look at these verses this morning, we're going to, we're going to, under, we're going to see, seek to understand what Paul truly means when he talks about becoming all things to all people. In these verses, Paul shows us three things about incarnational love. Three things about incarnational love. Incarnational love is humble, it takes action, and it has rewards. Incarnational love is humble, it takes action, and it has rewards. But as we pick up this text here in verse 19, let us be reminded that although we're looking at these verses to see how Paul went about reaching out to his surrounding world, these verses are part of a broader context from 1 Corinthians chapter 8 to chapter 11, which Paul is teaching the Corinthians how to get along with each other. In chapter 8, he talks about the issue of eating food that has been sacrificed to idols and suggests that, that, that people give up their rights to, to do so for the sake of their brothers who, brothers and sisters who believe it to be wrong. In the beginning of chapter 9, he defends his rights as an apostle and then points out that he gave up his rights in order to love them. But his point throughout all of this is very clear. It's to teach the people of Corinth and us how to love each other. So right away we learn something very important. The kind of love that we're talking about here doesn't just have to do with outreach. What we're talking about here is how to love people, both inside the church and outside the church. How to love people, both inside the church 
and outside the church. Because love is love. Love is love. doesn't matter if, if, if there's, there are people living halfway across the world from you. doesn't matter if they're sitting, if they live across the street from you, sitting in a pew next to you, sitting across from you at your dinner table at night, or lying next to you in bed at night. Love is love. And Paul is teaching us how to love other people, no matter whom, who they are or where they are. And he begins with the general principle that he's promoting. He, and that is, incarnational love is humble. Incarnational love is humble. It, 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 looks to, it looks to others first. He says, for though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Paul willingly places himself underneath of others and willingly submits himself to others in order to win them. He places himself underneath others in order to win them. And, and in his culture, this is about as shocking as anything Paul could have said. This was in a culture that the culture that he was living in, people would be compelled only in the face of financial ruin to enslave themselves to somebody else. Only, only, only in, in the worst case scenario would they enslave themselves to somebody else. But Paul says that he willingly places himself under other, other, underneath other people. He willingly gives up his rights in order to love people. He's willing to become like them in order to love them. He's willing to become a servant. He's willing to become a slave. Now, I don't think I have to take um, too long to try to prove the point that this is almost the exact opposite of the way we can tend to behave it, it, we could definitely see it in our culture all around us, and it seems like it's getting worse and worse. Typically, we do everything we can to hang on to, to, hang on to our perceived identity. If anything, we push for our rights. We do anything we can to, to avoid feeling inferior to anybody. We don't want to feel, feel inferior. C.S. Lewis said the claim to equality outside the strictly political field is made only by those who feel, them, feel themselves to be in some way inferior. We hate to feel inferior. But in verse 19 here, Paul is saying that he willingly enslaves himself to underneath, underneath others. He willingly puts himself underneath someone else in order to win them. And that word win is an interesting word. In this context, it means to acquire by investment or effort. And it's frequently used in economic context, context. But it's also used in reference to people. And when it's used in this context, in the New Testament, it doesn't just mean winning souls or converting skeptics. It, it always includes the, the idea of a close relationship with somebody else. It includes the idea of connection with people. Jesus used it this way in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, when he talks about confronting your brother who's engaged in sin with the hope that you might win your brother. Restoration is, is the goal. He's in, Jesus, in saying this, Jesus is, the hope is that the relationship will be restored and that your brother might be one to repentance. Well, Paul uses the same word in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, when he says that he casts aside what seems valuable in order, in order, that, in order to, that he might win Christ. Now, of course, he's not talking about converting Christ. He's talking about a personal connection with Christ. Paul adapts himself to other people in order, so that he could lead them to Jesus Christ. 
And he does this in the context of relationship with other people, connecting with them. That's what evangelism is. Evangelism. And notice that this isn't the kind of evangelism that I, I, I grew up seeing predominantly. You, you know, walk the aisle Christianity, like walk the aisle. People walk the aisle. Have you ever walked the aisle? That's how people would ask me when I was a kid if I was saved. There's a, this isn't, this isn't the, that kind of evangelism. It's not, it's not arm's length evangelism, you know. Arm's length evangelism. It's, it's that kind of evangelism to where people seem awfully excited to tell people they're going to hell, right? Always be cautious of people like that. And it's not arm-twisting evangelism. You know, someone, stick someone in a corner and just don't even go until they pray some prayer with you. That's not, Paul's not talking about those things. He's talking about a relationship. He's talking about connection. He's talking about love. And if you want to see an example of this kind of love, we need to look no further than to Jesus Christ himself, who humbled himself so that we could have a new life. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he humbled himself and became, he came to earth as a man. He became like us in order to win us. You know, they, if, as you look at the, the, the cross and the, you see a picture of the gospel, the cross isn't just about our salvation. It's also a template for how we live the Christian life. Jesus became like us in order to win us. Hebrews says we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in every way we are, and yet he's without sin. Jesus came down to earth, spoke our language. Even, even he had to learn it. He became like us in order to love us. You know, sometimes when I, I reflect on what God was willing to do to adapt himself to me and to love me, I can get embarrassed of, some, of the things that we're not willing to do to adapt ourselves to our neighbors, our friends, our family, and our community in order to win them. Paul enslaved himself and places himself underneath the people so they could bring people the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. If we believe what the gospel is, what God says it is, we'll do anything we can to adapt ourselves to other people, to, to, to win them to Jesus Christ. Incarnational love, it drives us to humble ourselves and serve others. Do you know that's what churches need more of today? We don't need another a church plant with just, just another pastor wants to be a... We don't, we don't need church shopkeepers, church politicians, pastoral CEOs. What the church needs today is men and women who are with a sense of divine calling, who are not caught up with what ministry can do for them, but, but are caught up with what the gospel can do for their people and their community. And for all of us, this might look different. What might this look like for you this morning? What might it look like for you this morning? Maybe it, it, it means just recognizing and taking advantage of common ground that you already share with, with people and loving them in that way. For example, it might mean striking up a conversation with someone you don't normally talk to, someone you pass by every day. You don't have to worry about giving them the four spiritual laws. Just be a friend and, and love them. Reach out to them. It could be volunteering to help a neighbor with a project on, on their house and getting to know them through that way and, and love it, loving on them. Or maybe it involves giving up something that's valuable, something that's important to you, that involves your time, your talent, and your possessions. But what might it mean for you t- today? Do you know, if, this seems, if it seems complicated, you know what makes this a lot easier? is loving people. 
You know, I have a, 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 a Glory Joy. She's four years old. And I'm 47. So I'm an older dad. I'm, pr- I'm privileged to be an older dad. My parents died young, and I spent a lot of time single. And I used to wonder, I used to see what guys would do for their kids, and I used to wonder, who would do something? Why would you do that? I mean, I knew that he, he, they loved their kids. Um, until I had Glory Joy, right? I found myself this week at her preschool watching a Halloween parade. I couldn't tell you how excited I was about that. I, I'd spend time with Glory Joy, and I think, man, I used to think dating was really complicated, right? <laughs> just the, the love for her just compels me to do all kinds of crazy things. And it's like that when we truly have, have been impacted with the love of God. If we truly love the people where God has placed us. We'll do whatever it takes to reach them. Are we, like Paul, willing to become all things to love people, to become like them in order to love them? He says, for, the, for though I am free, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Incarnational love is humble. And in addition to being humble, incarnational love takes action. Not only is incarnational love humble, it takes action. And this is the second thing we see. And in verse 19, we've seen that Paul's authentic love for people caused him to humbly serve others. When, in verses 20 through 22, we see that, that Paul's, we, we see what this looks like in practice. Paul says that he became like all kinds of different people. He says, to the, Jew, to the Jew, Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, as one, I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. To, the, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, in order, to, in order that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people, so that by all means I might win some. And, and you know what? With Paul, this isn't just talk. This isn't just talk with the Apostle Paul. In the book of Acts, we see at least three occasions that Paul did exactly what he said he was willing to do here. In Acts chapter 16, he circumcised Timothy. In Acts chapter 18, he shaved his head. In Acts chapter 21, he undergoes a purification rite and even paid the tax that was due for it, which ultimately led to his arrest. I mean, read the text. It's, it's in there. But what amazes me about this list is these aren't just trivial issues. I mean, think about what Paul is saying here. It's not as if Paul is saying, I wore a tie so I could fit into business executives. It's not like he's saying, I bought a terrible towel so I can really fit in in western Pennsylvania. I got on twi- or, or I got on Twitter. I got on Facebook. Now, surely Paul would have done things like those, for sure. But what he's talking about here are, 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 are things that are much more significant. The things that he describes here are significant theological issues. Issues that Paul spends a great deal of time in, in his other letters trying to straighten out with, with his readers. I mean, remember, this is Paul. He wouldn't just budge on anything. He knew what was what was and wasn't important. He, spends, he, so, he, he asks in the rest of his letters, he, he addresses these issues. Are we to live like the Jews? Are we, are we free from any law? Are we, still under, are we still under the law? Of course not. When Paul says, when Paul, Paul saying all things to all people, he doesn't, he doesn't create too broad of a theological category for himself. In fact, in verse 21, he says he's not without the law of God, and he's under the law of Christ. Paul would never, he would never compromise the essentials of the gospel. He takes theology seriously, and he wants his readers to know that. In 2 Corinthians, he says he doesn't peddle the word of God like some people do. Some people peddle a cheap gospel, and they rob it of its character, hucksters. Paul doesn't do that. He says in Galatians that he's not a man-pleaser. 
Basically, Paul says, look, if people are offended by the gospel, so be it. If they're offended by the gospel, so be it. But if it's something I'm doing, if they're offended at something I'm doing, I'll change that. To do whatever it takes. Anything short of, of sinning, right? Whatever it takes to reach people. Would, would you be willing to do the same? Would you change the, what you eat for dinner in order to spend time with somebody? Would you change the way you say things? Would you rearrange your busy schedule in order to spend time to build a new relationship with somebody else? Paul would. He's willing to do anything necessary. Why? Because Paul lived a life of passion for God. A life of passion for God. I once read in a, in a Bible atlas, the Moody Bible atlas. For some reason, I remember this number. Paul traveled 13,451 miles, just what's recorded in Scripture, and that's air miles. And that's, that's not even all the things, miles we know he traveled. I mean, think about that. On foot, shipwrecked, all these things. What, what would compel someone to do something like this? A life of a passion for God. Paul knew that authentic love and grace, you take action. They're not idle. That's what the gospel is. That's what the gospel does. See, Paul doesn't want to conduct his life and his ministry in a way that's incompatible with the gospel that he preaches. See, Paul is concerned, like we should be, not only with the truth of the gospel, but with the spirit of the gospel. Paul knew as good as anyone, the utter inconsistency of trying to preach uh, a self-giving Savior while at the same time living a self-serving and self-pleasing, self-centered lifestyle. A crucified lifestyle best suits the ministers of a crucified Christ. See, this is the very point that captured the Apostle's heart. It's the very thing that captured his heart. He wanted his life to be compatible with his message. True love for God is not idle. It's not just empty theory. Now, where did, still, where does a lifestyle of passion for God come from? How do we live a lifestyle of passion for God and loving people? It comes from the gospel itself. It flows from a, a personal brokenness over sin. And not just generic sin, their sin. The, the sin we see in the newspaper. No, my sin. My unfaithfulness. My pride. My rebellion. My everything. T to think that God would love somebody like me. Just to grasp that, that Christ would die for a worm like me. When you can grasp that you really are that bad without Christ, and, and He is really that good, grace is really that good, and you can't rectify the space in between, that's called worship. Passion is a natural byproduct of astonishment of God's love for me. That's why we always need to be rehearsing it over, over, over and over, get, get in the habit of rehearsing over and over again God's goodness and God's love for you. Because the second we don't, we're dead meat, especially in the world we're living in. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, this same Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. See, if you, to meet a guy like Paul was to meet, meet someone who still remembered that he aided in the murder of Stephen. That he, in he had persecuted the church, had thrown Christians in jail, 
had lived a life of, in the pride of religious accomplishment, Paul never got over the gospel of God's grace to him. And neither should we. That's why Christian passion isn't generic. It's not contrived. It's humble. It's real. It's earnest. And it takes action. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. Love comes first. And when love of God truly takes hold of our lives, when love of God takes hold of a life, you, you know it. When it takes hold of our lives truly, it changes us. It humbles us to our knees. And it drives us to take action. It's not just some de- detached and abstract thing. Love takes action and it puts other people first. And it has rewards. Incarnational love is humble, it takes action, and it has rewards. And that's the third thing that we see. See, so far throughout this passage, we, Paul's been saying that he became something in order that something might happen to somebody else. He became something in order that he, he might win people. But at the very end, he says the reason he does all these things in order that he might, be, that he might become something. And now we find the grand purpose behind Paul's actions, behind his actions. He says in verse 23, I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. That I might share in its blessings. That phrase is literally that I might become a fellow participant in the gospel. He uses the same word for becoming that he's been using all throughout this passage. And this is a, a, a really a major revelation. See, this, all, this whole thing about becoming like others in order to, to love them, it's not just a mission strategy. It's not just a good way to reach people. It's not just some method to learn. No, it's, it's the, the very nature of the gospel itself. Paul, does, Paul doesn't, this doesn't want to win people. He wants to participate in the gospel and receive its rewards. And God is calling us to do the same. He wants us to participate in the gospel and, and share its rewards. Do you know what this feels like? There's nothing like it. There's, there's nothing like, like being front row witness and having a small part to play in a transformed life. We live in a culture where people talk past people. They put people in boxes and, and talk like people can't change. Do, do you know the, the fundamental premise of why I'm here this morning is I believe transformation happens? I wouldn't be standing up here if I didn't. People can be transformed. If you're a Christian this morning, transformation is not an option. You will be transformed. And when you see someone transform radically, it's, it, there's, there's no argument, spiritually speaking. It's just the ultimate apologetic. I have um, my sister, her is married, and her in-laws were people who were, you know, kind of hostile to the Lord. And when I first met them, they appeared to me as such. And I know that, you know, God had me in their lives just to be some, some um, kind of witness in their lives. And, it, and I, I, I thank the Lord I realized after too, not after too long that, you know, I don't constantly have to re- remind people how I feel about every issue. They, they know how I, where I stand. You understand? They know where I stand. But just being in their presence is, is a major thing. So I would do holidays with them and just you know, talk about the love of Christ and what God's doing in my life. Because if you're going to have, you know, sit down in, for me with, for longer than 15 minutes, I, I, there's, God's going to come up. I, I, it's my major focus in life. It always has been. I, I love the Lord. 
And, but at the same time, I'd pray for them, and i think, God, what really could you do with, it, with, with these folks, right? One year, um, they invited me to go to Disney World with them on vacation, which I um, would like to do when I, when I was single. I didn't have anybody to go on vacation with, so I'd go on missions trips for one of my weeks, and I would, and I would uh, um, go on vacation some, a lot of times with them. And this is one of the first times. I went to Disney World. And um, as a backdrop to this story, I was also a Steelers season ticket holder for nine years. And I didn't have, I didn't miss a game for about eight years straight. And so I, I just made it this thing to where I didn't want to miss a game. So I, I drove to Disney World with them. I was going to fly back early. Why? Well, the Steelers were playing the Jacksonville Jaguars the next day. <laughs> I didn't want to miss it. Well, I, as we spent the week together, I went, they went to, I went all, to all the bars with them. I never drank. I've never been tempted with that. They blow cigarettes, smoke in my face and all this stuff. You know, I didn't, I didn't really think much of it. You know, just, you know when, when you can't re- expect unregenerate people to act like anything other than unregenerate people, right? And, and I'm not worried about, be, if you don't, never form relationships with non-Christians, then, then you're not going to win many people to Christ. And if, if you're worried about everybody pulling you down all the time, then you're not that strong. I tell people, you don't have to worry about them pulling me down. You just worry about them converting. I'm not, I'm not going to budge on my beliefs. So I'm, I'm spending time with them and, and after the week was over, well, the week was getting toward a close, and I had to go to the airport. They said, hey, can we take out the before on the way to the airport? And I said, sure. And I, I went with them. They said, I sit across from us. And I did. And I wasn't prepared for what happened next. They said, we, we want to tell you that, um, we want to tell you something. And the wife spoke first. She said, I've hated your guts ever since I've met you. I'm like, what? I didn't know this, right? I'm, I'm glad I didn't. She said, and, and, and this was the, the pinnacle of it all. You're going to spend a week with us. And I thought, you're just going to be down here preaching to us and, and telling me how bad I am, telling us this, that. She said, but I couldn't believe how great it was to spend time together. And, and I'm not saying, suggesting that that's true. <laughs> I mean, but, um, but, but they said it was just great. And they were just telling us all these, all these things. And, and it, all these moments where they were you know, testing me, I didn't know. She said, you know, when I was a little kid, my dad did things to me. It was really bad. And... Um, I ended up having uh, a pregnancy from my father. She said, now you tell me that God loves me. And I, I was undone. I don't know what to say. Still don't. I, don't know any, I, don't, I can't identify with that. But one thing I do know is God loves, God loves her. And I told her, I said, I, don't, I, don't, I, can't really, I, I can't empathize with how hard that would be. But I know one thing, God loves you. He has a plan for your life. Make a long story short, within a short period of that, they were all sitting next to me in church. I can't tell you how, how great, great that that was. It was great. I, I don't claim to have any, I was just a small part of, of the whole thing that God was doing in that situation. But I got to participate in the gospel and share in its rewards. And there's nothing like a, a transformed life. Everybody, everybody around a story like that acknowledges um, a transformed life. That's what incarnational ministry is. It's giving up, giving up of yourself so that something could happen for somebody else. You know, the gospel is a story of a God who lowered himself to human status in order to reach humankind. It's, an, it's a story of becoming like, some, like people in order to win them. And what Paul is saying here is that if we are serious about living the gospel, then we will adapt ourselves to others in order to love them. Loving others is the very core of the gospel. How do you go about loving others? You identify with them. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for, though, for, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his very poverty you might become rich. 
So Paul's philosophy of ministry isn't um, shifting or people-pleasing. No, it's a blueprint. It's a blueprint for a gospel-centered ministry. It's a blueprint for a gospel-centered life. It all begins with love. The journey we are on as Christ followers is a journey of becoming better lovers. And John, and John reminds us that we love God because God first loved us. God's love is not only the motivation for our loving other people, but it's also the model. The cross is, is, is our template. As we adapt ourselves to others, then we are more able to love. Because when you truly, when you, when you are willingly adapt yourselves to others, then, you're, then you are able to truly share Christ to share Christ with them. As you, as you adapt yourselves to others, it's only then that you can truly demonstrate the love of Christ to other people. And you can't fake love. People smell it out in a second. I'm, I'm sure you can think of, everyone has examples. You can't fake love. Only incarnational love can compel us to humble ourselves and serve others. Only incarnational love can motivate you to take action, to adapt to others. And only incarnational love has the greatest rewards of, of participating in the gospel and celebrating and re- rejoicing together at a transformed life. And with, of the joy of seeing others come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's what the gospel is. The, answer, the gospel is the only hope for our society, and it's our, our role to just trust the gospel, trust the, share the gospel and live the gospel, and leave God with the results and trust that, that it works. So how do you obtain this true love that drives you to take unique measures to reach people for Jesus Christ? How do you, how do you obtain this kind of love? Love that motivates you to, to, hum, to humble yourself and, and serve others? Well, two things. First, pray. Pray. Pray that God would cause you to humble yourself so you could, so you could see other people in the community the way that he does. In fact, to ask God to help you to see every individual that you come in contact with through the fingerprint of his lens on, of, on their soul. See everyone through the, blue, the, the lens of God's fingerprint on their souls of who God intends for them to be and, and speak to them through that lens. That's first. First, pray for God would help you to see others the way that he does. And second, take action. Make it a point this week to, to take action and love someone that's different from you. And identify with those people wherever you can. And we all have opportunities. If you're older, perhaps you can get to know someone younger. And if you're younger, get to know someone older. Get to know newcomers in the church. Newcomers in the, in the community. Make it a point to love and identify with your neighbors, your family, your friends, your co-workers. People in, people in the post office. Surely there's someone for each, each of us. There's someone in your life that God wants you to, to, to get to know or reach out to. Someone you can invite for coffee, just have a conversation with, invite over for dinner, just be a friend, friend with. If you're willing, God can use you. He can use you to, to, to in, in his story of transforming lives for eternity. You, you can be part of something very historic. All we need to do is we need to listen, serve, and pray as we humble ourselves and we take action um, in our spheres of influence for the gospel. Will you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel, Lord, and we thank you, Lord. Um, we thank you for your presence, Lord. We thank you for the gospel that makes your pre- it possible for us to be in your presence this morning. Lord, we, I pray that we cherish that, Lord, and we would cherish your presence um, here, here in Bethel, we, and we would believe with every fiber in our being that everybody needs to be here because and, and, um, you're here. And Father, I pray that um, you would uh, just wreck all of us with your love this morning. I pray we would um, just be reminded of how good you are to us, Lord, and how you don't pay us as our sins deserve. Lord, while we were, we were um, Christ's enemies, he died for the ungodly, Lord. Lord, let that be the operating um, paradigm in our mind, Lord, as we um, uh, see what's going on in our world and we get tempted to um, talk negatively about other people who don't believe like us, who don't vote like us. I pray, Lord God, that we know that Christ died for us while we were his enemies, Lord, and we would proceed from there. And, and Lord, I pray, Father, that you would, you would enable us, Lord, to, uh, with humility, Lord, to not, not always be worried about what's in everything for us, Lord. The truth is, is, is um, there might be nothing in this for us, Lord. I pray that, but I pray that, but nevertheless, Lord, we would still serve you, Lord, and take action, Lord, in, in all the simple but profound ways. Um, that, um, that you've called us to. And Lord, we know that, that all those things add up to change our lives, our families, our communities, and our culture. Lord, I pray that we would be the church in every sense of the word and you would um, help us in, to do that in new ways this week. And, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.